Hey, everybody. It's time for the With a Bullet podcast. My name is Todd Golden. His name is Matt Golden. Matt Golden, what's going on? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, we're starting to lock down again, I guess. We're not. So... We're opening things back up. Yeehaw! It's the wild, wild motherfucking West. Meanwhile, <laughs> well, that's, meanwhile our numbers that, are going up. That's the problem here. That's, that's what they were doing here. So... so whatever i'm going to stay in my house and listen to my goat's head soup album and play fifa 21 and i'll be fine okay okay yeah that goat's head soup sounds, sounds... issue is legit fair hmm. yeah I haven't, I haven't checked it out you should yet, go buy so it. like I... literally right now go rush out of the house i'll hold down the podcast for it i'll make shit up about your your songs and you can go buy it <laughs> okay all right so anyway this week's chart is october 3rd 1998 the alternative chart matt you picked it you explain it okay well last week we did kind of like before alternative became a thing and i wanted to do a chart that covered um when it was like crumbling and like falling apart so that's why i picked this one from um October 3rd, 1998. So um, kind of um, not the best examples of alternative music. I here. thought this chart was pretty inoffensive, but also forgettable. I, like there isn't anything I like absolutely hate on this at all, but it's also like there isn't like that one song that sticks out to me. Like, like you're not going to hear me waxing poetic about any of these songs i have on my side of the chart like this is one that really sticks oh, yeah. out in a bunch yeah. of crap and it is a transcendental song there that doesn't exist on my side of the ledger this week yeah there's none on my side of the ledger either <laughs> so all right cool let's get dive into the mediocrity <laughs> and yolks get to start with number 40 real world by matchbox 20 these guys were the adult contemporary version of live. Um, when they started getting played on alternative radio, I knew something was up. Um, kind of like a bad sign. <laughs> but um, these guys were originally known as Tabitha's Secret, and they changed their name to Matchbox 20 after they signed to a major label. And it was inspired by um, somebody in the band seeing a baseball jersey, which had uh, Matchbox on the front and the number 20 on the back. Um, and these guys were what, what I consider one of the very first faceless bands. Um, before I started doing research for this, I could only name Rob Thomas, and that's mainly because I knew him from Smooth. But part of the reason is that half of the guys were hired hands brought in by the record company. Um, part of the reason for them being faceless, but they're also like super bland, too. And that's basically what this song is. It is really bland. And um, Rob Thomas is kind of imagining what it would be like to be other people. But he's also wishing wishing that the real world would stop hassling him. <laughs> so, but this this was their, their first top 40 hits. Um, and that was due to a change in the rules for the Hot 100. Um, before December 1998, um, you had to have a physical single to appear on the charts, uh, but they changed the rule, but 
it was pretty late and this is this song's run so it only ended up peaking at 38 i think it um made it to the top 10 in airplay before this but um not really memorable um like a lot of matchbox 20 songs they named themselves after a fucking t-shirt yes yes okay by that dent if they had watched the jerk they would have named themselves bullshit after the t-shirt that the little kid wore on the jerk sure yeah (laughs) (laughs) clearly you don't remember that i i I remember what you're talking about i always wanted but but um but yeah i I couldn't imagine a band named bullshit i mean probably wouldn't fly but matchbox 20 i always thought it was because one of them had a matchbox car like a race car and it had a 20 on it like yeah like you had that, that would make more sense <clears throat> than the baseball jersey thing. Like, you know, I was a big fan of, of uh, gosh, who was number 20 now? I mean, Tony Stewart was later, but I don't, I, mm-hmm. whatever. No need to dive down that rat hole. <laughs> okay. All right. But number 39 for you is the Smashing Pumpkins with Ava Adore. Hey, look, Billy Corgan is a vampire now. <laughs> in this video he he's go he's he's fully bald which he always w- sort of was but like he's going more for the goth bald and mm-hmm. I mean, it's fucking billy corgan so he looks like nosferatu's bitch <laughs> <laughs> okay i don't even know if nosferatu would even want to have a bitch he'd probably just want to drink a bitch but billy corgan <laughs> looks like nosferatu's bitch but i mean the song itself is all right i mean there's a dash of electronica thrown into their usual sort of rock mix and the problem was by 98 myself speaking here i was kind of over the smashing pumpkins i mean by then they'd become such a corgan dominated band and i and his whole vibe that he had and his whole pretentiousness reminds me of tim burton in movies where he was yeah yeah very similar were very i liked smashing pumpkins at first and they were interesting and they were a good representation of the early alternative sound that was good, but then they sort of fell too much in love with their own shtick. They got really full of themselves and their production got a lot more elaborate and all of that by the mid to late nineties. And, um, you know, by then I was like, nah, all right, enough. And, and their songs became really, they sort of went all guns and roses on us. They kind of went November rain on everybody, but, yeah, yeah, not not as successful at doing that. Though. No, not at well. They weren't as big either. But <laughs> I mean, this video for Ava Adore won for the most stylish at the VMAs, which is what every serious <laughs> rock and roll artist is shooting for to win the Style Award at the VMAs. That says everything you need to know about where Smash, Smashing Pumpkins were in 1998. So, I mean, but the song <laughs> itself actually isn't that bad. It's just all the encroachments around it are annoying. Right. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, for next for you is number 38, Over Your Shoulder by Seven Mary Three. Uh, this is my first skip. It's not as bad as um, every other Seven Mary Three song I've ever heard, but um, just needed to skip something. So, but um, number 37 for you, we have um, Depeche Mode with only when I lose myself. Two weeks in a row for Tepesh Mode for me. Two yes, weeks in a row. Yes. 
Um, this was a greatest hits only track, which I kind of thought that that stuff was kind of over by the late 90s, but I guess not. Um, it sounds sort of like a rejected track by Air, which by then, I think Moon Safari would have been out by October 98, maybe not, but I think it was, yeah, I think so. But then again, you know, I suppose Air owes part of their existence to Depeche Mode in the first place, so you know, there's that. But last week we talked about Dave Mahon being an unlikely sex symbol in their early 90s videos like he's strolling around like a cowboy in leather and all that and and Mm -hmm. boinking all these you know models and all that well by the late 90s here he is in close-up and amber light not sexy enough to dress like a sexy biker anymore (laughs) age is age (laughs) is undefeated yeah he's like like he's (laughs) in this like amber light that hides the fact that he's you know, basically, he's probably older than I am, actually. But so I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah. I mean, they were putting out albums in like the early 80s. So he'd have to be. So was I. <laughs> OK. <laughs> anyway, number 36 for you is Get Him Out of Here by Sprung Monkey. Yeah, this is a skip. It's kind of I don't know. It's hard to categorize this one. It's just like jokey metal pop punk like type stuff bloodhound gang territory and <laughs> uh, no no it's worse than bloodhound gang <laughs> hmm. okay <laughs> but 35 for you we have um, pj harvey with a perfect day at least this was the last track by pj harvey to make the u.s alternative chart and you know i think pj harvey is really well remembered but the truth is she only had four top 40 alternative hits in the u.s at all so it's not like like i think she had an outsize reputation on mtv and she showed up on beavis and butthead once in a while too so Mm -hmm. you know um down by the water or whatever was her big one but um however in the uk which is where harvey is from she had 15 songs that reached the top 50 or better on their regular, huh. not their alternative chart. And this was her biggest hit in England, reaching number 25. So the song is fine. It's kind of electronica-style rock. Um, I will go to Robert Criscow to uh, assess this one. He said it was the up-tempo, up-tempo single off of her Is This Desire album, and it's not that up-tempo. And he, but he also chimed in with, quote, it rocks to nowhere. So... okay okay which is kind of how i feel about a lot of pj harvey's songs a lot of them were pretty aimless i thought i mean they're just kind of droning over like a like a you know like a beat or something like that i never really i I never really got pj harvey personally yeah I, i mean i never really got super into her either but I, I do sort of remember this one being on the radio it was, at the time. It was eh. It's mediocre. So Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, next for you, number 34 is Hooch by Everything. I, I wish there were, were a name for the genre that, the, uh, that these guys were part of. Um, it's like frat party, hip-hop, acoustic jam band blues. Um, sounded like if a dirty white University of South Carolina Cox hat became sentient and started making music. Um, there, 
were tons of these bands. Um, they were faceless. They all came from like the mid Atlantic states and they all had some sort of novelty bent to them. And they all seemed to vanish off the face of the earth by um, New Year's Day, 1999. Um, some other examples would be like G Love and Special Sauce, um, the Fun Love and Criminals, and maybe Soul Coughing, but they're a little bit too artsy. Soul? Um, I it. get them later. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But they all they all also had like that really hard snare sound to them. And you might be able to lump Dave Matthews band in there too. Um, but they're I mean, a little I mean a little bit more accomplished than these guys anyway, but um these guys formed at James Madison University in Virginia, so that checks off one of the boxes there and they were a frat party jam band and by this point they had already put out one album on a major label and been dropped and that was about to happen again when adam sandler came to the rescue or whoever the music supervisor was for the water boy came to the rescue jesus um it what it wasn't included on the soundtrack album but enough people saw the water boy and liked the song um, where it ended up on the radio and people started buying their album, which is why it's here. And the band themselves were not really fans of the song. Um, their lead singer said that it was a double-edged sword and a bizarre song to be known for, and it only represents a small facet of what we do. Um, but, I mean, I didn't really delve into... <laughs> the rest of their stuff but i can't imagine that it's much better than this and um it does have a sax solo and i can't tell if it's 70s or 80s it's kind of like in between but this was their only charting single so um disappeared off the earth after that and they're probably still like playing frat parties in virginia or, or something like that <laughs> but <laughs> i think frat fans were really annoying i mean um, I don't understand the whole sensibility of what even frat boys liked out of them. You know, I mean, some of the bands that they championed were really weird. I mean, I just, I never got it. I guess it was fun to chill out and hang out and drink too, but like, I don't get it. Right. Yeah. I mean, this song is mostly about drinking, so that's probably why. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, um, Number 33 for you, we have um, Pearl Jam with In Hiding. Well, it's it's really rare to come across a bad Pearl Jam track, and this is no exception. It kind of, kind of noodles along in Neil Young gear, you know, like medium Neil Young gear until the middle when it speeds up into, I guess, fast Neil Young gear, um, but still good Neil Young. I mean, not bad Neil Young. Um it's Pearl Jam. That's what they did. That's what they still continue to do. It's never bad. Um, but let me allow Eddie Vedder to explain this song himself because um, I think he cuts right to the chase. Let's go with this quote. The song was about taking a fast from life, doing anything to get yourself back in touch with something real. Abstinence from anything is cool because the normalcy of life is deceptive. It's enjoyable for a while. And there are good moments, but sometimes that's not enough. Okay, here's where the off-the-rail shit starts. You start questioning, <laughs> what's the point? By not opening my mouth, I was able to get into that steak. 
state. Jack called me at the end of it. He couldn't understand what I was saying. I took a minute to, it took a minute for me to get my speech back. Unquote. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's Pearl Jam. I like Pearl Jam fine. I don't dislike Pearl Jam, but I'm going to say this about Pearl Jam with the exception of maybe two or three songs. Almost every single one of their songs is utterly disposable. And this is another one. Like if I heard that is true. It's fine. Especially in this era. Yeah. And they had kind of lost their fastball a little bit in the late nineties. This comes from the yield album, which I do know a lot of Pearl jam fans do enjoy, but I don't know. I mean, they just, they were kind of the ACDC of grunge in a way. I mean, they just kept making the same album over and over again. And Pretty much, yeah. Once I got past, um, you know, uh, their third album, which was pretty good, then all their shit pretty much sounded the same. And when they come out with a single, I'd be like, okay, this rocks. But you know, mm-hmm. they just never seem to go. At- if they, if all, if all they want to do is live on as a pretty good live band, then I suppose there's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, I don't consider them some sort of artistic great band or anything like that i just don't oh yeah yeah definitely not so one band i do consider an artistic great band is next for you number 32 for you is one more murder by better than ezra yeah this is a skiff um i forgot that these guys have like three other hits besides good but this was one of them and um i'm skipping it they're better (laughs) than ezra johnson Yes, yes. I they might not have been better than Ezra Johnson. Not, I mean, not as defensive ends because he was he was a sack machine for a while. It it would have been funny if these guys would have lined up in, on the defensive line because I mean they're all like skinny dudes, so yeah. they probably get destroyed. Cool. <laughs> it's, but thirty one for you is fuel with bittersweet. Skipping this one, it's my first skip because this is absolute dross. I like the word. Yeah, pretty much. I pretty like much. the word dross. Dross. It, it's like alliterative. It's like dross. Just sounds like a bad, like something that's lousy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dross. Yeah. This countdown is dross. But <laughs> this leads into my long distance dedication, and I can. That is correct. And yeah. hardly wait. This was the worst long distance dedication out of all the ones I've done because befitting the mediocrity of the state of music in 1998, I could not find anything on the album chart. I couldn't find anything good on the singles chart. And at that point, I just wanted to kill myself and I didn't want to look at the R&B chart or the or any other like the mainstream rock chart or whatever. So I chose ESPN's Jock Jams Volume 4. <laughs> I did see that on the albums chart. Which was yeah. at number 25 on the album chart. And in my business, <laughs> I'm a sports writer, you do hear these songs ad nauseum. And you'd think by volume four, maybe they'd have some non-obvious tracks to feature, like they're going a little deeper tracks on the arena and high school music. But no, this is the assembly line of annoying and it never stops. And you have the two <laughs> unlimited mega jam which who doesn't need that in their life? Like every other time they go out to work, you have the inevitable puffy combs junk, which he was at the height of his powers and 
19. Yep. And I did notice his compilation with Jimmy Page was on the singles chart, which made me want to throw up. Of course, you have... Oh, they, the cashmere one? Yeah, that was on the single <laughs> this week. You, of course, have Space Jam because people think that movie's funny when it's stupid and the song itself was dumb, too. Um, yeah. Somehow, Jump Around didn't make the cut until this volume of Jock Jams. So you got to be pretty elite to make it on a volume one of Jock Jams. Um, <laughs> and you need a yeah, baby, from Austin Powers because, of course, you do. Because it's 19. <laughs> And uh, mixed in are two snippets from noted DJ legend Bob Shepard, a.k.a. the PA announcer for the New York Yankees, because, you know, yes, it's still an ESPN product, so they have to show their East Coast bias. Um, yeah, yeah. There's also a no one pushes us around snippet from which is credited for some reason to J.K. Simmons, the guy who at that point, I guess, would have been an Oz. Uh, right. And even though it's actually from the movie Rudy and Simmons wasn't even in that movie and it's a Dan Devine locker room speech uh, that and Chelsea Ross played Dan Devine in that movie, which is, you know, uh, it it just I hate that movie so much, Rudy. (laughs) But these songs um, make me want to pour Drano into every body cavity I have, basically, because I've heard them (laughs) a million times every single time I go to a game. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, hearing it once is bad enough, but I, I can't imagine like hearing it at every single game. It's just, it's like, it's torture. It's like, it's like it's some sort of ironic punishment. Like, I might be dead and in hell. Like, oh, you want to be a sports writer, huh? Okay, well, I'll let you be a sports writer, and we're gonna play terrible music for you for the rest of your life. Like some <laughs> dude today, I was covering a game, and he actually played. Um, Free Will by Rush and uh-huh. I don't like Rush and I don't care for the song Free Will but at least it wasn't uh, somebody playing fucking uh, um, you know the two unlimited mega jam for the 80 millionth time in my life y'all ready for this yep so I dedicate this to um, Satan because he made this whole series up. Okay, okay. I I actually saw somebody with a personalized Satan license plate today. Really? Yes, yes. They they were driving a Hummer, by the way. So Satan drives a Hummer. Hmm. Well, okay, cool. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. Next for you, number 38, Space Lord by Monster Magnet. Monster Magnet were essentially a one-man band. Um, Lead singer Dave Windorf has been their only consistent member in their um, 30-year history. And before he was in Monster Magnet, he was in an early New York um, punk band called Shrapnel. And the only reason I know anything at all about them is because... In one of his articles, Lester Bangs just like totally ripped on him because um, they had a dumb gimmick, which was um, going on stage dressed up in army uniforms and bringing rifles with them, um, which he thought was dumb. And he thought that they were, quote, fighting World War II on stage. But anyway, um, Monster Magnet were stoner, space metal, 
um, kind of equally influenced by Black Sabbath and Hawkwind, but um, this song doesn't sound like either of those two. It's mostly acoustic and it's kind of jokey and popish. It only gets metal on the choruses and the only lyrics in the chorus are Space Lord Mother Mother and I'm pretty sure the second mother is supposed to be something else. I I don't know what that might be, but I'm pretty sure it is something. Mother Pop. But could be, but actually there, there was no version, there was no dirty version of this, so it is just Space Lord Mother Mother. There is no Space Lord Motherfucker version of that. But um, this ended up becoming popular on MTV because it had a video which was either a spoof or an homage to Puff Daddy's videos. And it's really flashy. It's filmed on the Vegas Strip. There's showgirls dancing around, a lot of like fish islands action. And Dave Windorf's wearing like a lot of weird outfits. Like he has a suit that has like light bulbs all over it at one point. But I mean, that's that the video is the most memorable thing about this. I mean, that's pretty forget forgettable. But did they did um, they shoot any West Coast rappers in the course of this video? <laughs> no, no, they didn't. Oh. It, it would have been funny if they like started started a feud with like a West Coast um, like stoner metal band or something well, there was, like that. There's a few on this chart, or or just general West Coast, you know punk bands that tend to congregate on this chart as well yeah 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 they definitely could have gone after some of them um let's see but un unfortunately they didn't um there is a cameo by a member of marilyn manson in it though Ooh, i get to talk about him later but it, it isn't actually marilyn manson it's like the guitarist from marilyn manson so <laughs> it's but anyway um number 29 for you we have um cheryl crow with my favorite mistake i actually originally had something to say about this song and now i don't but i'm so i'm skipping it <laughs> okay okay that leads us to number 28 the downtown by days of the new these guys are from indiana yeah. um charleston charlestown indiana to be exact you know which is weird because i lived down there at the time and i remember absolutely no hype whatsoever about days of the new i i yeah, worked I, in that area I, in charl in the same county as charlestown because it's just outside of louisville and i mean i vaguely remember them being mentioned but it wasn't like a big deal was made out of them yeah i mean they were kind of low-key i guess i mean I, I'm going to get into it a little bit, but basically like the guy who was days of the new was kind of a nut job. <laughs> it's, um, they're essentially a one man band. Um, Travis Meeks was the one guy who was mentioning. Um, he was the only consistent member and they were acoustic grunge. And you could tell that they were trying to sound like Nirvana or Alice in Chains, but um, they completely missed the mark and landed on Nickelback uh, but this was a couple of years before Nickelback was around. So maybe those guys were up in Canada, like listening to this, taking notes and like going, yeah, this is what we got to do. I'm, I, I, you're joking, but I think you're right, actually, because this is where I remember that sound coming into play. Probably. I mean, it 
sounds exactly like them. So, I mean, definitely, I mean, yeah, I guess they probably were. But um, it's better than their best-known song, which is Touch, Spe- ah, Touch, Peel, and Stand, but that's not really saying that much. And um, they eventually ended up disappearing because um, Travis Meeks decided that he liked meth more than writing music. So um, they kind of disappeared off, off the earth a few years after this. To be fair, I would also like meth writing more than, more than writing their music. That is true. I mean, I've never tried meth, but I'm assuming it's probably better than Days of the New. I would, I would try meth over writing any Days of the New song. <laughs> that would be a better choice. Yeah, yeah. But are, are there, I mean, have there been any like other known bands from like that side of the river? From um, Indiana like, side of the Ohio River in Louisville? Not that I know of. I mean, um, there probably are, but I just don't remember any of them. The the one thing I remember is I rented videos from one of the du- one of the dudes from Slint when I was down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, I remember that place. He owned a video store in Louisville. It was awesome. It's still my favorite video store ever. And it was run Didn't by. We, get, we got like a Russ Meyer movie there when I was visiting you once. The only Russ Meyer video I can ever remember renting is. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, maybe Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill. I probably did rent that, but this was for, the one that we watched was from like the seventies. Really, I don't remember that. Well, that must be one of his more hardcore porno ones. Then it kind of was, from what I remember. Awesome! What a night for two brothers to spend watching uh, softcore porn, basically, which is what Russ Meyer was doing by then. <laughs> Pretty what a great much. night! <clears throat> How can I not remember that? But no, I don't. I don't really remember any any major. There might have been one of. I want to say there was some soul artist um, from the '60s that came from that area, but I can't remember who it was. Obviously, it wasn't anybody that big. Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, let's move on here. And um, this band isn't really much better than Days of the New. Um, Dave Matthews Band with stay wasting time hey did you hear those a fast acoustic strings on there <laughs> yes skip this shit jesus you think i'm gonna <laughs> talk about dave matthews band i hate dave matthews band <laughs> okay okay enough said number 26 for you is once in a while by dishwalla uh this is a skip i covered dishwalla and whenever all other alternative episodes so uh just skipping this one um 25 for you um we mentioned these guys before um soul coughing with circles <clears throat> well the first thing i thought of when i saw soul coughing because i kind of forgot about them was the band name makes me wonder if clear channel successor iHeartMedia has a list of band songs for covid19 i bet this would make the list just like they did for 911 remember that <laughs> you're you're probably <laughs> right about that and a bunch yeah. of uh a bunch of songs so i don't think soul coughing would make the covid19 uh okay list so i mean <laughs> right i'm joking but probably not um one of the things i found about this song and i remembered it once i did see it was a cartoon network promo where they had hanna-barbera characters 
basically cut out of the cartoons that they were in walking around in circles on a promo like cartoon network used to do these like two three minute long promos um for basically when they didn't sell advertising is probably what it was but so yeah they had like yogi bear and (laughs) boo boo and adam ant and uh whatever the horse was <laughs> i don't remember <laughs> quick draw quick, quick draw. draw yeah geez how can i not remember quick draw McGraw. <clears throat> yeah quick draw was prominently featured uh dist per usual were the hillbilly bears which are the greatest hannah Barbera characters of all time but it's actually a pretty <laughs> cool promo it's very googie like very 60s um art that they superimpose the Hanna-Barbera characters, which if I'm sitting here talking about Hanna-Barbera characters, it tells you how interesting the band itself is. <laughs> that, that is true. That is true. <laughs> the song isn't actually that bad, but it's basically memorable because Yogi Bear walks around to it inside a circle. <laughs> okay, okay. It, it's definitely not circles by the Who level. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. No. <laughs> Anyway, next for you, number 24 is Got the Life by Korn. Uh, this is a skip. I also did Korn in another alternative episode, so I'm skipping him here. Man, you got to get low on your skips. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, let's see, 23 for you, we have Goo Goo Dolls with Iris. For the longest time, I actually thought Goo Goo Dolls were the Jim Blossoms. I, I thought they were the same band. Even if I heard a DJ say that was the latest by the Goo Goo Dolls, I would have been like, oh, in my head, I would have been like, oh, yeah, it's the Gin Blossoms. Because they basically sound, I mean, they they do sound a little, Gin Blossoms yeah, kind of. were a little bit more up-tempo, but um, their songs, and, and their songs aren't straight up bad or anything like that, but I think Goo Goo Dolls basically symbolizes the banality that quite a few of these songs embody, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it was popular. Uh, this song was heard a shit ton in this period of 1998. Um, mm-hmm. But it just doesn't feel like there's much there there to this song. I mean, it's, you know, in a way, you know, looking back on it, Alternative by the late 90s had become what a lot of MTV music had become by the late 80s, where by then the record companies who still had prominence at that point, although not for long, um, had kind of figured out a form. They figured out how to formulize alternative music. And a lot of the independent bands that basically, you know, fueled alternative music had by then had commercial responsibilities they had to live up to and all that. So even their creative output wasn't as good. So, um, I mean, the thing is, you could just as easily hear this song on an alternative station as you could a soft rock station. Oh, and you yeah, did. And I have it, heard this a lot uh, on soft rock stations. Absolutely. So it really does it's probably among the songs I have, it probably symbolizes the decline of, of what alternative music really meant. Like we needed an alternative to alternative music by that point. Right. And unfortunately the ideas that people had all sucked like corn and, uh, (laughs) you know, um, and many other bands that are on this chart. So, but yeah, pretty, I mean, it's not bad, but it's, it's, it's just, mediocre right yeah exactly and i i have them coming up later too Ooh, (laughs) anyway next for you number 22 is all the kids are right by local h um 
these guys were a duo from Zion, Illinois, um, just across the Wisconsin border. And they actually played their very first show at UW Whitewater, believe it or not. <clears throat> so wow. pro- probably like the only name band that could make that claim. But um, well, Chief Trick got signed after playing a bowling alley in Waukesha. That that is true. That is true. Yeah. But not not a bowling alley in Whitewater though. <laughs> you're, 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 that is true. But um just it was just a guitarist and a drummer. Um, that's all they needed, I guess. And um, since we mentioned Cheap Trick, um, this song sounds a lot like Cheap Trick. Um, kind of um, the Northern Illinois sound, I guess, or like the Flatlander sound, <laughs> if he wants. Uh, but this song is about how fickle fans can be. Um they'll go to one of your shows where you're just kind of off and they'll like write you off forever. Or as the song says, um, you won't wear our t-shirts now. And um, it's not is they had a couple of hits before this um, bound for the floor and Eddie Vedder, which were more memorable than this, but it's pretty decent kind of power pop type stuff. Um, but the video for this um, is kind of, um, memorable it's takes place at one of their shows and the guys from local h are playing every single member of the audience and the entire venue staff like the roadies the sound guys and stuff like that and um, it's pretty funny but it, i'm guessing it would probably be pretty hard to pull off using 1998 era technology um but pretty amusing though and this is a decent song so one one thing i did notice about watching some 1998 videos is how everybody like wanted to tout how they had their dial-in connection and make a big deal out of it in their videos it's pretty funny right yeah i i I know exactly what like the just the dial-up noise yeah 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 i do remember that in a lot of these videos dude i got roadrunner i'm way ahead of you (laughs) yeah I remember when we got Roadrunner, I was like, holy shit, we have made it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The American dream is in my hands. <laughs> yep. And the funny thing is, I mean, do you even have a landline? Because I don't, because I couldn't no, do dial no. up internet, even if I the wanted only line, to. The only line we have is our is our high speed, you know, wireless line. That's the only line we have left. Huh see so yep which if we have to have it to have wireless in the house like it's literally connected out to the pole but that's it we don't have we don't have a landline phone right and everything else in the house want, runs on wireless so hmm. no need right yeah exactly it's um number 21 here we have uh marilyn manson with the dope show the dope show <laughs> if you take combined skin pigment of Marilyn Manson in this video combined with Billy Corgan's in the Ava Door video, you get the pure white paint I used on my garage. <laughs> yeah. You know, for me for me giggling about that early in the joke, it really wasn't that good of a payoff. But um anyway, um yeah, the quote from this would be We're all stars now in the dope show. <laughs> yeah. 
But the video is supposed to be a tribute to the Holy Mountain, yep. which I know about, but I've never seen. It, and I'm it, sure, Marilyn... It is weirder than hell. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is, knowing who directed it. But, you know, I'm sure Marilyn Manson, who's basically like a 90s ersatz Alice Cooper, basically, uh, captures all of the nuance of Alejandro Jodorowsky. <laughs> I'm sure it's it just I'm sure it's just like spot on. See, I, I haven't seen the video, but I mean, does he does he have like um like birds flying out of people's chests and like um... No. Just say, I, no. <laughs> he's not he's an amateur. I mean <laughs> Okay. Knowing what I know of the Holy Mountain and that I've basically seen like the I, I must have watched a documentary on it or something. I know I've definitely watched the trailer of it. And it's like he is he's no, he's an amateur. So I, so I no robots any... having sex or anything like that? Or... No. No. Nope. Or a room I mean, full of testicles. <laughs> no. The only contemporary artist I could think of who might be able to approach the weirdness might be Eric Andre. But Yeah. Even he, yeah, he could do even that. Even he's he does it for comedy though, so I, I don't think even he could get into the league of uh Jodorowsky on that so <laughs> right and got Marilyn Manson who was you know he played his commercial appeal was to be dangerous and you know uh weird and all that and he really wasn't you know I mean yeah that's true he, looking back on it I was like oh okay yeah I like what you're doing there but I at, at the time I, I like halfway liked the best song at the time Believe it or not, Jesus. <laughs> you better, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> By the way, when you were talking about um, um, level H, the only thing I could think of was preparation H or local H. Excuse me, not level H. Yeah. Um, and so I'm imagining that imagining that this is a band that you smear on your asshole. okay i don't even know if they deserve that but that's what was rolling around in my head at that point (laughs) preparation age (laughs) anyway number 20 for you is never there by cake uh this sounds like every other cake song um if you've heard any of their songs you know what i'm talking about oh Um, yeah Kind of like monotone spoken word vocals, trumpet solos, um, shouted background vocals, and vibra slap. And you can't forget the vibra slap. It's a, a percussion instrument that kind of sounds like a rattlesnake. And these yep. guys like used it all the damn time. And uh, they're probably single handedly keeping the vibra slap industry afloat. Um, but. And also, I mean, like all their other songs, this is kind of like jokey and like almost a novelty song. But um, this was actually their biggest hit, though. And the video for it is kind of a spoof of country videos. Um, They're playing in a honky tonk. There's like line dancing, but um, it's all like very literal, like the lead singer is talking on the phone, trying to call his girlfriend, but she's not there and stuff like that. But, um, but for whatever reason, these guys are still somewhat big too, which I don't really get. So they were 
they were alternately really annoying and really sort of interesting, depending on the song. I mean, it just depended whether they got that right monotone. Um, I don't know. But there was like, I don't, I don't know. But they, 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 they were all, like I said, annoying and interesting all in the same song, usually. Pretty much. Like, I would never want to. I would never want to actually buy anything of cake. So, yeah. And I've, I've heard like full albums of theirs and yeah, you're not missing anything. (laughs) So. All right. Cool. Then I won't. (laughs) I believe this would lead us to your long distance dedication. Does it not? Yes. Yes, it does. Um, All right. Well, you better do better than jock jams. uh, Well, we might be doing better than jock jams, but (laughs) (laughs) at number 11 on the mainstream rock chart we're gonna dig through the ditches burn through the witches and slam in the back of dragula by rob zombie and (laughs) dragula takes its name from grandpa monster's car from the 60s tv show the monsters i mean it was a hot rod which had a casket for its body and a tombstone for its license plate. And there was, they did actually make a real car and they used a real casket to build it. But at the time it was illegal to buy a casket in California without a death certificate. So they had to make an under the table deal with a funeral director where they basically just like handed him a wad of cash and presumably he like hid it in the bushes or something like that for um them to pick up later but um it it was featured in an episode where um um Herman Monster actually had a drag race with it too and while we're on the subject of the monsters um the father was a frankenstein the mother was a vampire um their son somehow ended up becoming a werewolf how did that happen i don't know <laughs> it, it's a mystery that... it's a mystery i mean how did they all want not want to kill each other? That's another mystery on the monsters. That that is another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or like the the spot, like the monster that they had under their stairs too. Why did that kill them? Yeah. Why did they? Why did they allow the normal teenage daughter to live there too? Why didn't they suck her blood out or something? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I two, even, two of them were vampires, her. so I mean, they could have easily done that. Yeah. Or. Frankenstein could have just gone ape shit and just beat the shit out of her, thrown her in a pond or something. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, 32 years after the monsters went off the air, um, Rob Zombie was inspired to write an ode to that car, which basically sounds like every other Rob Zombie song. And it's kind of become a meme a little bit. I've noticed on Twitter just people referencing the uh, dig through the ditches, burn through the witches line. And um, also the performance of this from Letterman, which is like one of the most unintentionally funny live performances I've ever seen because um, um, whoever their sound guy was, or if they had a sound guy, just like turn the audio like all the way up. So it's super distorted and it's, pretty bad on top of that too but anyway um that's rob zombie with dragula and i'd um, just like to dedicate this to um the monsters and 
um, actual Frankensteins and stuff like that. <laughs> so our two dedications were to Satan and to the monsters. So we're in very October territory unintentionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have two questions for you. A, how much did you actually watch the monsters? And B, have you seen any of Rob Zombie's movies? I have not seen Rob Zombie's movies, but I have seen the monsters quite a bit. I mean, it was on, I think, TBS in like the 80s and 90s. So I did catch it quite a, quite a bit. I never really got into the monsters. I, I just, and, and that goes double for the Adams Family. I just never, those shows just didn't do it for me. I don't know. It was a lot better than the Adams family. I mean, at least the monsters was somewhat funny. Um, the Adams family never was. So, yeah, <laughs> I was more of a um, bewitched. I dream of genie guy personally. Yeah. I mean, I prefer bewitched out of those two, but yeah, I could see what you're talking about. But be elizabeth montgomery was hot she was she was yep yep and and barbara Just eden saying. so she was can't forget her neither one of them were 99 from get smart though that that is true that is true big crush on, big crush on 99 when i was a kid <laughs> still have crush on 99 but um his movies are weird i mean well they're intentionally weird but like House of a Thousand Corpses was actually sort of entertaining. Like as long as he keeps stays in horror territory, then it's he he does exploitation. I'll say this for him: he does exploitation better than Tarantino does because hmm. he actually trades in the exploitation tropes. So, but not all of his movies are that good, though. So he's I I think he's a better director than he is a musician. I'll say that. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean. Wouldn't really have to do much to be a better director no, no. than musician for him. <laughs> More human than human. Yep, yep. <laughs> but anyway, um, number 19 for you is Fuel with Shimmer. I don't know if I've ever done this before. I bet I have, but I'm going to say that this is a historic first. I'm skipping the same band twice in the same countdown. Ooh, nice, nice. So fuck you, Fuel. <laughs> Anyway, that leads us to, oh my God, number 18 is Jump, Jive, and Wail by the fucking Brian Setzer Orchestra. Swing Revival. God, no. <laughs> why, did Kill it with fire. why did Swing have to come back? Why? Well, there was, there was a seed based around one club in L.A., the Brown Derby. And due to its proximity to Hollywood, it eventually made it into one movie, um, Swingers, which kind of ended up becoming a surprise hit. It kind of reintroduced swing dancing around the country. It kind of trickled out after that. Then there was like squirrel nut zippers. And you'd occasionally hear somebody talk about taking swing lessons, but it was kind of a cult thing. But then there was a Gap commercial. Um, and the Gap commercial was pretty popular. It features swing dancers wearing Gap clothes. And they're dancing to the original version of this song by Louis Prima. And it kind of blew up from there. Then you had this song, uh, fucking Zoot Suit Riot. 
um, whatever the big bad voodoo daddy song was called. Um, it was all on the radio, like practically every 15 minutes and it got old like instantly, but thankfully that only lasted like a month or two. But this that, this song is pretty faithful to Louis Prima's original. Um, the only real difference is that Setzer swaps out a trumpet solo for a guitar solo. He's a guitarist, so that makes sense. But um, this was his first hit since he was in the Stray Cats. Um, first one since 1983. And um, actually the second revival for Louis Prima because... Um, David Lee Roth covered just a gigolo. I ain't got nobody. So, uh, but yeah, swing revival should not have happened. <laughs> this makes me ill on a couple different levels. First of all, Brian Setzer jumped on every retro trend there could possibly be, including the Stray Cats, uh, basically for his whole career. I mean, pretty much, yeah. There were other retro trends that didn't get as far as swing um, that he had jumped on between the Stray Cats and this. Um, whether it be rockabilly, um, you know, you name it. Um, he may have had a forties big band phase. I want to say, I don't know, but Mm -hmm. it was just, he, he, as an artist annoys me because he never really ever did anything like he would do original things within a genre exercise, which is really not that original. And then the swing revival that you're talking about was really my line of demarcation to where, I finally just gave up on attempting to stay with, you know, what was popular, like squirrel nut zippers. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like I I knew of nobody my age and I wasn't very old at this point. I was still in my mid twenties that wanted to listen to this stuff. And to me, it was like, where is this coming from? How did this become popular? And I was like, fuck it. I'm not even going to (laughs) try. So this is when I started delving into, I know I personally started delving into jazz at this point and a lot of soul and R and B. And I was like, I don't even want to listen to that shit. So good. That, so that this, was a good move. Good move. Yeah. It was a good move. I mean, from basically about 96 through 98 was where my deterioration of paying attention to current music really, really set in. So which is about right. I mean, that's my mid twenties and that's, you know, usually for some people they stay trendy, but I was like, I don't want to stay trendy with this shit. So, right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, good move to not um, buy into the swing. (laughs) Well, and there's probably good swing music out there. It's just that I don't want to hear it from, revival bands that are also the other thing about it too, is they would always try to put a modern spin on it and that never works. Exactly. Exactly. You know, do you like 1940s or 50s swing? Uh, Don't sit there and try to put like, you know, try to rap over it or whatever, you know, (laughs) I don't know that anybody did that, but you know what I mean? I mean, it was like, let's put a drum machine on this swing song or something like that. So, right. Yeah, exactly. Ska Revival was a lot like that, too. It was the Ska Revival, which was around the same time. Yeah, the Ska Revival kind of, like, fed into this a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it did. They kind of did merge, and it was similarly annoying because, um, you know, they would... It was Ska done with, like, 90s... Well, like, digital Ska, and it doesn't work, you know? Right, yeah. But... Yeah, take that swing music. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. At number 17 for you, we have Sean Mullins with Lullaby. This sounds like Beck as translated by Everclear. <laughs> and Sean Mullins kind of looks like the dude from Everclear a little bit, I guess. This is really pleasant, but forgettable, even though it did actually ultimately go to number one on this chart. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really the only hit by Sean Mullins. Um, and that's pretty much all there is to say about it, because it's really not that interesting. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's about what I would say. Too. <laughs> <laughs> the, you learned a lot about lullaby from my analysis. It's Beck as translated by Everclear. That's really all you need to know. <laughs> yes, yes. That leads us to number 16, Got You Where I Want You by The Flies. The Flies were led by Adam and Joshua Paskowitz, and they were members of the first family of surfing. Ooh. Um, their dad was named Doc Paskowitz, and he was kind of a bohemian beatnik type, and he was obsessed with surfing and health food, and um, he ran a traveling um, surfing camp, surfing school, and he had kind of a dictatorial cult-like approach to raising his kids. They never went to a formal school, and they were basically forced to surf all day, every day which would be okay if you liked surfing, but if you didn't surf, it would probably suck. And the only food that they are allowed to eat was multi-grain gruel. (laughs) That reminds me of the Simpsons episode where What's-His-Face was happy to eat gruel. (laughs) Okay, okay. But eventually they broke away from all that and they started an alternative band. And I didn't like this song at all back then, but out of all of the songs on my list, I'd have to say that this one has aged the best. Um, Really, the only drawback is that they have like a dopey um, 311 style, like toasting and the outro of it. But aside from that, it's pretty decent. And it was featured in the soundtrack of the movie Disturbing Behavior, And because of that, one of the stars of that movie, Katie Holmes, appears in the video. And in the video, the band's playing on a cliff, and Katie Holmes is behind them. And a bunch of guys are, like, trying to get to her, but they all end up um, falling off of the cliff to their doom. So, um, but, yeah, decent song, um, one that's um, improved over the years. (laughs) A rarity on this list. I bet if you looked at the list of movies released in 1998, it wouldn't be all that much better than the music that was. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Especially with, I mean, assuming disturbing behavior was a teen movie, like I'm assuming like teen horror movie, which there were a lot of those at the time. Yeah, there were. Yeah. Like I know what you did last summer and stuff like that. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know where i was going with that i was actually trying to think of a good 1998 movie and i'm sure there are ones the fact that you mentioned the water boy earlier was just annoying because that movie's so bad it is it is even by like adam sandler comedy standards it is yeah pretty much (laughs) but 15 for you we have um fastball with fire escape it was crazy. I went back looking in my archives because I thought I wrote something about this song back in 1998 and I found it and it said, quote, 
Someday Fastball is going to be one of those 90s bands that just seems instantly forgettable. I'll bet 22 years from today, I'm going to wax nostalgic about them on a podcast where I reiterate how forgettable they truly were. I wrote that in 1998. I, I, I foresaw podcasts as an actual uh, media entity in 1998. I should have monetized that. That was dumb. I yeah, called, you're a visionary. A I should have called them Toddcasts. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, you know, I would, man, that's probably a little harsh on fastball. And actually, I should like this fight because it's power pop, which is one of my favorite genres. Um, but it just doesn't do it for me for some reason. This song doesn't. Um, it's much like their biggest single, the one that came right before this, The Way, which yeah. is also basically proto, you know, or not proto, it was power pop. So this should be a band I should champion because I like power pop bands, but I don't like every power pop band. And so they're not bad. Again, they're not bad, but I can't sit there and say, yeah, fastball. I, I'm really glad they showed up on this chart. It's like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember those dudes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely a forgettable band, especially yeah. this song, too. Yeah, no doubt. Next up for you, probably the biggest song, maybe. Well, maybe. Maybe the most memorable song in this chart. Number 14 is Fly Away by Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> I wish that I could fly like a dragonfly so very high. I, I, I just want to be the billionth person to make fun of that line because um, dragonflies only fly maybe about five feet in the air, like tops. Yes. <laughs> it's, um, some of Lenny's other stuff is okay, but not really this one. I, I mean, it's always seemed kind of half-assed to me, like it was basically it's like, full <laughs> yes yes but um this song was almost an afterthought he was finished with his album and um he wrote this like after it was already finished and was considering just releasing it as a b-side but um one of his friends urged him to get on the phone with his record company and get them to stop the presses and get it on there but um, not, a, not a great song, but big hit, obviously. It was top 12 in the Hot 100, made it to number 12 there, and number one in the UK, believe it or not. Oh, yeah, it was a huge hit. Yeah. But I'm reading the lyrics right now. <laughs> I mean, I defy, read this in John C. Riley's voice from uh, um, from Boogie Nights, like when he's doing the the poem when he's in the hot tub i mean <laughs> i fly above the tree over the seas in all degrees to anywhere i please or let's go see let's go and see the stars the milky way or even mars where it could just be ours <laughs> i mean seriously that sounds like his poetry it does um, it does you're right about from boogie nights and i mean lenny kravitz had his charms i actually have um one of his albums the um from the early 90s i have the one with uh uh um with mama mama said that's the name of the album mm -hmm. um which it, it has its charms because he was very devoted to being retro but songwriting was never his forte mm. and by this point he had just melted into butter i mean he was just goop in terms of a songwriter i mean it was just i mean this is just brutal i mean this has yeah. to be one of the worst 
written songs ever. It, it's up there. It's definitely up there. <laughs> but yeah, let's fade into the sun. Let your spirit fly. We are where we are one, just for a little fun. Oh, 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 yeah. I'm trying to read it like John C. Riley did from. <laughs> yeah. God, I mean, it's just brutal. This is like one of the worst written songs I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. But what, one thing that I was kind of surprised to find out is that this was actually his first appearance on the real top 40 since it ain't over till it's over. Um, Are You Gonna Go My Way wasn't released as a physical single, so it didn't qualify for that chart. But um, first appearance in seven years for him. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then later Get American Woman, you know, would have been a hit around this time. Yeah, I think that was like directly after this. So, yeah, which is also bad. Yeah. But I like that. The, the early 90s period of Lenny I like despite his lyrical flaws because he made interesting music but he had kind of the bird had flown on that by this point because this isn't very interesting musically either honestly uh, de- definitely not no <laughs> but it's not going to get any more interesting at number 13 um, <laughs> we, so we have Creed with what's this life for and this is a hard skip Ooh. so we're to find out <laughs> Next up for you, 12, Save Tonight by Eagle Eye Cherry. Um, Eagle Eye Cherry's from Sweden. Um, he's from a musical family. Um, his dad is Don Cherry, the jazz musician. Um, not... <laughs> I, thought he, I thought his dad was Don Cherry, the hockey player. <laughs> no, I was just about to mention that, though. <laughs> it would be funny if his dad was Don Cherry, the hockey announcer, but... Um, and his sister is the pop singer Nana Cherry. And oh. yes, yes. And Buffalo. Buffalo stance. Yep. But um, Eagle Eye is his real first name. It's not a nickname. And despite his family background, he initially wanted to become an actor instead of a musician. And he came over to the States when he was a teenager and kind of went after that and he had a few credits but didn't really pan out the way he expected so he went back to sweden and a few years later you get this and this is a true swedish production his backing band included guys named lars nicholas banked magnus ingabar and klaas and one of those guys even had like a last name with an a with like the little circle on top of it too so it's yeah. So it's genuine Swedish there. Legit Scandinavia. Yes, yes. But this isn't really alternative. It's more pop rock, but it did get played a lot on alternative radio at the time. It's it's okay. It's pretty inoffensive. Um, it's hard to imagine anybody like hating this song. But no, I, I actually like this song. It's not bad at all. Right. Yeah, and it was a big hit it made it to number five on the real top 40 and but he couldn't beat his sister um she made it to number three with buffalo stance so so she gets the bragging rights of the cherry family yeah but he was a true one hit wonder too he never made an appearance on any billboard chart like not just the top 40 but like any of the genre charts so but pretty memorable one hit for him yeah, we need this and we need some Jamiroquai on this chart to get it a little bit more soul. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Because um, time would have been like a year before this, I think. Yeah, you're probably right. By the way, Eagle Eye is his real name, but Todd is not my real name. That's actually a nickname. <laughs> okay, what is your real name? Supple Ass. Bubble Ass. Bubble no, no. Ass. Yeah. Supple Ass. <laughs> okay. Jeez. <laughs> like you've never seen my ass before. Yes, yes, I know, I know. Supple. <laughs> my on my birth certificate. Right, right. <laughs> but anyway, number eleven, we have um, Semi Sonic with "Singing in My Sleep." I had no idea there was ever a follow up to "Closing Time," but this is it, and it's not bad. It's fine. I mean, it's. More of a driving track than um, than closing time is. Closing time is driving in the in the choruses, uh, but this is kind of more consistent drive through the song, and it does have some prominent. It has a prominent synth hook in it, which is which is fine. And the synth is played by drummer Jacob Slichter, who played the synth and the drums simultaneous simultaneously. Ooh, nice. He just well, reached out because it was just one chord on the synth. So it was like, beep, you know. So he was able to drum through that at the same time. My mind is officially blown. Yes, synth. yeah. So a lot of people think Semisonic was a one-hit wonder, and I suppose they were in the context of the Hot 100 or the, or the Top 40, but oh, no. They had a number 11 hit after that on the alternative chart. So right, yeah, and I I think their lead singer he ended up becoming like a like a pop song songwriter. I think he's written like songs for like Adele and stuff like that. Yeah, so I have no memory of this song whatsoever. I barely, honestly, have a memory of closing time. I mean, that's how little I was paying attention in '98. Now I've heard it a lot since and know it, but um, like I remember that one filtering through my ether at the time, and I was like, okay. Closing time, you know, not bad. Mm-hmm. Good power. See, yeah, I, these guys were from the Twin Cities, and I was kind of splitting time between the Twin Cities and Cincinnati at the time. So um, Twin Cities Radio, like, played these guys to death just because they are local. Yeah. So anyway, that's the story of Semisonic. <laughs> right. And number 10, Flagpole Sitta by Harvey Danger. Um, Harvey Danger were from Seattle, and this was kind of their take on what their home so- ah, hometown scene did to mainstream culture. Um, it's an alternative song that rips on alternative rock, but it also might be about jerking off. It's probably a combination of the two, but um, pretty catchy, like power pop, um, punk pop song. And it was a really big out of nowhere hit. Um, this is what the lead singer said about the song. Um, if I died today and there was an obituary about me, it would definitely run in the local paper and say that I was the author of this song. I'm okay with it, but I definitely don't view it as an accomplishment. I view it as a strange fluke. And the fluke has nothing to do with how good the song is. Um, that song for me has transcended quality. It's bizarre and perverse. What I mean when I wrote the words and the melody doesn't matter anymore. So, Did, is he hanging out with Eddie Vedder when he said that? <laughs> possibly, possibly. I mean, they were both in Seattle, so he did pretty much predict his own obit. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, yeah. This. I mean, I was 
actually surprised to find out that they did have a couple alternative hits after this. I mean, I thought that this for sure was their only hit, but a pretty memorable song. Kind of, it's kind of stuck around a little bit on the radio too. And um, the video for it, they are kind of like kind of going off the theme that they were kind of out of place in alternative rock. Um, they're, they pull up to a club and they have their equipment and they're going from like room to room in this club, um, trying to find a place to play. Um, there's like jaded hipster types in one room, um, Marilyn Manson type goths in the next, and then like ravers, hardcore punkers. And then they get on stage in the, onto the stage and play, but there's nobody in the audience except for a monkey. Doe. So that's actually true of what would happen if they had a show now. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And, and except the monkey wouldn't even show up. Yeah. You're probably right about this. <laughs> but um, anyway, number nine for you, we have Third Eye Blind with Jumper. Oh, it's this song. <laughs> Jumper was written by lead singer Stephen Jenkins. And it was intended to be, well, it's not intended to be, it is about bullying and about a suicide due to bullying because of one's sexual orientation. Okay, fine. That's really noble and all, but why does it sound so damn happy then? Because this song is exactly, yeah. Like every other third eye blind song is very up up and major key and all that. Jenkins has said this song wasn't understood on release. Yeah, because it sounds like it's a fucking jaunt in the park. That's why. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's a song about somebody, you know, contemplating suicide. So Right, yeah. yeah. And, like, their big song, um, Semi-Charmed Life, was, like, about taking meth or something. It's also, like, super upbeat. Which would be interesting if they were, like, we're going to be ironic and, you know frame all these really dark songs in a non-dark context, but that's not really what they were. They were perfectly happy to be, you know, up and be hit makers, basically. And instead of being almost overt about the fact that they were kind of reversing the role of the song, they just almost were like, oh, we don't understand why people don't get this. It's like, because you're trying to have it both ways, you shitheads. So, right. But this brings us up to the eagerly anticipated Wikipedia fun fact of the week. Oh, okay, okay. But this week, it is not sponsored by the Department of Duh. It is sponsored by lying. So here goes. Quote from Wikipedia. Jumper received positive reviews from music critics. Unquote. That's it. (laughs) Okay. An absolute lie. I refuse to believe that. Yeah, yeah, I don't buy that either. And they didn't really cite any positive reviews from music critics either. Right. Yeah, you should, I mean, you should register like a wiki account and then um, put like the citation needed like warning next to it. (laughs) I wouldn't do that. I would just put, (laughs) oh, bullshit. I would like to do that on Wikipedia. Just go on Wikipedia entries and just go, oh, bullshit, after a bunch of stuff that it. Right. Let's see. I, I, I have to mention here, since we're talking about Wikipedia, I have made only one edit to Wikipedia ever. Um, there, there was an article on white jazz, and I decided to insert a picture of John Stockton. So, and it, it stayed up there for like a month, too. <laughs> I, 
I've never ever made an edit on Wikipedia in my whole life. I've never, I've never bothered. <laughs> Somehow though, I accidentally clicked on it once though, and it said you are banned from editing Wikipedia. I was like, why? I've never edited Wikipedia before. <clears throat> so that's weird. I don't know. It was probably just I probably it was probably just a random mistake. But yeah, yeah, it could be. <laughs> I did get kicked off of the ESPN message boards around this time period because I think I called Warren Moon a wife beater or something like that. And I got the only only time I've ever been banned from a um, from any kind of internet forum that I know of. (laughs) But he he was, wasn't he? I I think he was convicted of it, yeah. Yeah, so what the fuck, ESPN? (laughs) Anyway. Next up, number eight for you is Slide by the Goo Goo Dolls. Um, we're adult contemporary masquerading as alternative. Um, it's not really that much different than the Matchbox 20 song that we covered at the start of the show. And the song is about a teenage girl who just had an abortion and she has strict Catholic parents and they kicked her out. And Johnny Resnick, who's the lead singer of the Goo Goo Dolls, is um, singing from the point of the view of the boyfriend and the father of the child. And he's just letting her know that he's okay with it. And I've heard this song roughly a billion times since 1998 because it's um, a grocery store Walgreens PA staple. And I never would have guessed that that was a subject matter. Um, To be honest, I've never really even thought about it. It's pretty upbeat and cheerful. So you don't really think, oh, it's about that. But I mean, kind of similar to like Jumper. I mean, just kind of it's so upbeat that you don't think that but anyway it's kind of blah i mean like wallpaper basically the only thing i think of when i think of abortion songs are would they have fit in either the last american virgin or fast times from ridgemont high that that is true yeah did they um they did like i will follow in last american virgin and i think it was like wasn't it somebody's baby? Somebody's baby, I want to say, was in Fast Times. Yeah, yeah. I I associate just once with the Last American Virgin and abortion, even though I don't even think it's in that scene. So, um, in other words, I don't understand movies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So you know, there's that. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I just create my own contexts for things. Right. But number seven for you, we have Everclear with Father of Mine. When I was learning about drinking, Everclear, the alcohol, was legendary because it was 190 proof. And even like binge drinking lushes, like in, in and when I was in college, were pretty much in awe of Everclear. It's like, don't fuck with Everclear because <laughs> Everclear fuck you up in return. Um, it was pretty much the ultimate alcohol like you had to be a real ballsy to even do like a shot of it because it was like you might die if you do a shot of everclear (laughs) which you probably won't but it definitely would probably fuck you up yeah but so everclear the band is kind of the ultimate in banality in much the same right as alcohol is in terms of (laughs) potency that's probably a little bit mean to be honest because at the time, to me, Everclear just seemed pretty harmless. Like, they were very California-seeming, e- even though they were from Oregon. Mm-hmm. 
um, West Coasty band, inoffensive, you know, put out songs that weren't bad, weren't great. You know, they're they're kind of the America of their time, I guess. Not not in terms of musical style, but in terms of just floating around in the ether. Like it'd be hard to have an opinion on them one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that respect, Everclear is very much a late '90s band because. I don't think many people, you know, like are fine. Like if Everclear had a reunion tour, it's not like you're going to get 20,000 people out to see Everclear. Right. Even though they did have a lot of hits. And I think a lot of bands are guilty. I can't think of a single, maybe a few of the bands we're about to talk about could draw something like that if they revived. But most of these bands that were popular at the time just really don't have, they're not that memorable. They don't have that much staying power. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. I mean, I can't see the Goo Goo Dolls like selling out arenas or anything like that. I just don't see it. I, I think they they were planning on reuniting this year before COVID happened. And I think they were like booked into just like a regular club here in Madison. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, unfortunately for a lot of those bands these days, the only way they can make money is through doing concerts. So, you know, the older bands like Fleetwood Mac and all that could probably still make a lot of money doing that. But a lot of the bands from this year are going to have a lot more trouble uh, making money off their music because they just don't, they're going to have to tour almost constantly. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's the way the economics of music work today. So (laughs) unless you want to live on like the 10 cents Spotify pays. (laughs) If you even get 10 cents. No doubt. Right. Anyway, number six for you is I think I'm paranoid by garbage. Um, I I covered I'm only happy when it rains and one of our previous alternative episodes. So a lot of my, what I said about them there would apply here. Um, the song was originally called Bend Me. Um, they referenced the chorus of American Breeds, Bend Me, Shape Me throughout the song. Um, but they changed it to Bend Me, Break Me. Um, they were kind of doing it a lot on this on the album that this came off of like there was a song that basically ripped off talk of the town by the pretenders. And there was another one that like pretty much copied the melody of helpless by sugar too. But um, this was recorded here in Madison. I, I mentioned in the other episode that they were from Madison, but they didn't record at Butch Vig's regular studio. They um, recorded it in an abandoned candy factory and I've actually been in that candy factory because it's been converted into a couple restaurants. So I've been in there a few times. So um, I think this is the first time I can say that I've been where one of our songs was recorded. But um, not one of their best efforts, but it was a pretty big hit over in Europe. Um, it went to the top 10 in the UK and actually went to number one in Spain. So... Um, they have that going for them. I, by this point, I was kind of sick of garbage because all their songs were basically the same theme. It was a lot of self-loathing type stuff. Pretty much. And that, that's exactly what this is. Yeah. I mean, it was like, okay, I get it. You know, you're depressed with your state of existence. Right. Yeah, exactly. They made interesting music. I mean, their music was usually interesting, but it's just like, you know, after like the fifth or sixth song of hearing that, it's like, okay, let's change it up a little bit. Pretty much, pretty much. 
for some reason, the thing that jumped into my head was, why don't you sing about Frisbees? <laughs> no, I don't even know okay. what that means. Like, like, if you challenged me to write a song about Frisbees, I wouldn't even know what to do. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there ever has been, like, a song about Frisbees. I, I can't remember any. There should have been a, a bubblegum song about Frisbees. I don't think there is one, but there should have yeah, been. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Frisbees and hula hoops. Make me, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> but anyway, um, number five for you, we have the Beastie Boys with Intergalactic. I'm going to make a confession on this one. There, there's a lot of people who love Ill Communication, the album. And apart from License to Ill, it probably was their most commercially successful album back when it was released in 94. Um, and it was important in reestablishing the Beastie Boys in the popular consciousness a lot of people went back to the Beastie Boys at that point and, you know, learned to embrace Paul's Boutique and Check Your Head and stuff like that. Um, that process for me had started before that. So I was already listening to those albums by the time Ill Communication came out. But the truth is, is that as much as beloved as it is, Ill Communication is nowhere near as good as either Paul's Boutique or Check mm-hmm. Your Head uh, came before it. So for the beasties to wait four years to put out hello nasty, which is the album that intergalactic came from. I don't know. I don't think that was the right call. I know in my head, I love the beastie boys. I still enjoy the hell out of Paul's boutique and check your head. But I know by 98, I'd kind of mm-hmm. moved on and whatever desire I might've had to dive in was sort of ended by this song, which is okay, but it's not great to me. It's like kind of pro forma beastie mm-hmm. boys. I didn't, when I heard this, other than the, you know, the cool electronic effects that they had on it, it's like, I'm not hearing anything really that I haven't heard out of the Beastie Boys before, you know, it's just, their, their style was, you know, basically bragging over the top of a jam. And a lot of times their bragging or the jam was really interesting. Um, but I don't know. I just, this song left me really cold at the time I, and it kind of turned me i off liked this song to hello but i struggled to get into the hello nasty album i like tried to force myself to like it more than i did i think if, i think i may have listened to yours at one point i was like well play, I, I don't know if this conversation ever took place but i can see it if it did it'd be like why don't you play me hello nasty so i can see if i like oh song. okay okay and, I don't know if that conversation ever took place, but I do seem to remember listening to it. And I was just like, it's like I'd moved it past all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like I moved on to the, it's not that I disliked the beastie boys. I just moved on to the next thing. Right. And a lot of people, I mean, hello nasty did sell pretty well and intergalactic was a big song. Um, so a lot of people were into them, but I always felt like there was always this Johnny come lately angle to a lot of those ill communication beastie boys fans which is stupid for me to think that way but um you know because they just weren't as good as they were in the early 90s you know they weren't as interesting yeah they were definitely phoning it in quite a bit on that album well and they had changed too i mean you know um they'd become in some respects more serious it's almost like they had to keep up the trope of being sort of the jokey uh kind of funky rappers <laughs> and they've gotten too old for it to be perfectly honest it's probably what the problem yeah yeah was. that's true yep 
So like like MCA had gone into his didn't he go into his Buddhist phase? Yeah, he or... he started that in like ill communication. Though. He he did, but then he kind of got even more serious about it after. Yeah, that. this was this was when and they were so... doing the Tibet Freedom concerts too. Yeah, and he it's like he didn't want to be like like he it's almost like he was bragging reluctantly on the records like you could almost tell in their rhymes it was like the stuff that he would have put like uh smoke the holy chalice got my own religion you know from like uh paul's <laughs> boutique it's like he was almost you could tell he just it wasn't in him anymore like he wasn't yeah feeling yeah it. yeah i can definitely see that yeah and when you lose one element of the the beastie boys worked as a trio i mean so you lose one element of that trio and it starts to fall apart a little right so so yeah i was never able to get into hello nasty and the video for this was also not great i mean they were basically doing a tribute to japanese Mm sci-fi in this video wasn't as cool as body moving which paid tribute to danger (laughs) yes yes 60s italian cinema which is near and dear to my heart but so, although the song itself, Body Movement, isn't right, that good. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I was kind of over the Beastie Boys by this point, unfortunately. Yeah this, yeah, this was like the beginning of the end for me. So. Yeah. Anyway, next up for you, I didn't realize they were still on this chart again. Number four is Perfect by the Smashing Pumpkins. And they're in synth-pop mode here. It kind of sounds similar to 1979, so... Um, they took the logical step and went ahead and filmed a sequel to the 1979 video um, using the same actors from that video. Well, most of the actors, one of them was in jail, so he um, missed out on it. But in the first video, it was just high school kids goofing off, um, getting in trouble and partying. And now they're adults. Um, two of the kids are living together and they have a newborn Um, The other couples in college, um, the couple with a kid has like dead end jobs, too. And the couple in college, um, the guy's trying to get her to go to a Smashing Pumpkins show, but she doesn't get the message. So he goes alone and bootlegs their show. And the pumpkins are in like full on goth mode in their concert. And um, Kenny Aronoff is their drummer. And I totally forgot that he was briefly a member of the Smashing Pumpkins. I I never knew he was. That's yeah, and it's my mind weird right that I'm bringing up up for like the second week in a row. But um, there's a fifth kid in it, and he robs a convenience store, and that happens in the first video too. And James Eha plays the convenience store clerk again. Um, um, kind of getting stereotyped because he's the Asian guy in the group. <laughs> but um, it doesn't turn out as well this time because the kid gets in a high-speed chase and the cops are chasing after him and they accidentally run head-on into the guy um, from the couple with a kid and presumably kill him. So kind of ends on a down note. What a bunch of losers. That didn't happen to Peter Cetera in the Stay the Night. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. His whole truck exploded and he crawled out of it. Maybe they should make a third video. No. How about no? (laughs) Well, it probably won't happen because, like, Billy Corrigan's, like, too busy, like, with wrestling. He, He actually owns a wrestling promotion. He... 
And he also did like a eight hour version of like Siddhartha, like a Moog synthesizer. So that's that's exactly what I thought he would be doing back yeah, in 1998. Yeah, exactly. He was like trending in that direction. <laughs> but um, number three for you, we have Hole with Celebrity Skin. Before I go into this, by the way, during your whole thing about Smashing Pumpkins, I was kind of giggling to myself because I thought it'd be funny if I just went Roar! in the middle of uh, one of your <laughs> songs to pay, to pay tribute to the the inflatable uh, dinosaur that came out of the floor in the one Young Ones episode. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what brought that up. But... Okay, <laughs> I don't know either. Because my mind is a is a is a whirlpool of weird thoughts. Um, anyway, back to the countdown. Um, I I had forgotten that. <laughs> I for, this seems to be a bit of a throwback for 1998 because I'd totally forgotten Hole was big again in 1998. Uh, the song itself sounds like it could have been out in 1994. Um, it has a lot more bite to it than a lot of the other songs on this list, which is why Hole is probably, you know, they actually, their celebrity skin album that this came from, of course, um, was, was their biggest <laughs> hit, actually. Um, and it's sort of a tribute to California rock. Um, and I suppose this does it, but it still sounds to me like grunge era whole, like they hadn't really changed all that much. So um, I was just surprised to see him on the chart. Cause I, I, I guess looking back on it, I kind of remember this, but I don't associate whole with 1998. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Um, I, I actually briefly had this album and I, it was kind of, I mean, a tribute to California rock. I, I know the, um, follow-up single of this was basically just like a total like Fleetwood Mac rumors kind of sound alike. But yeah. What did you what did you sell the album? How did you get what did you get? Yeah, for it was like three bucks it? or something. Did, what did you use that money for? Did you buy like macaroni and I, cheese I or something? So. <laughs> <laughs> I sold quite a few like earlier on in the nineties when I was poor and didn't have a job yet. I sold some of my CDs for free. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I didn't really sell that many of them. I like purged maybe like probably about 10 years ago, I purged like 20 of them, but I mean, that's like the most I've ever sold of any of mine. Oh, I doubt I've sold any more than that, but Back, that was back when you got a little bit more resale value for CDs. Yeah, now too, now you wouldn't get anything. Like you could walk in there. Yeah, you could go in there like sell five CDs and right. get like ten bucks. Yeah, exactly. Back nineties. So, yeah, my Easy Does It CD equaled like a bowl of meat <laughs> or something like that. You, you should explain bowl of meat to everybody. <laughs> bowl of meat would be a confection, or not confection, but a. A dinner item that I invented back in the my college years, like if I had no money, I would just uh, <laughs> brown up some hamburger and put it in a bowl. <laughs> bowl of meat. I might season it with some onion or some garlic salt or something just to jazz it up. So, yeah. I literally probably only ate a bowl of meat like twice, but it's great. Cool right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
I never ate ramen ramen noodles. That was the one really yeah. I never really ate. Yeah, I don't really I, like I mean, ramen noodles. They're okay for like what they cost. I mean, it's like a dime for one of them. So I mean, it's you get your ten cents worth. <laughs> oh, I know our kids. My kids love ramen noodles, but I just never got into <laughs> them. So. Plus, I made macaroni and cheese all wrong back then. Like, to this day, I still like macaroni and cheese, mm-hmm. like, really dry. Because I never, ever put any milk Yeah, I don't do that either. Ever. I just... I, I, now I put a little dash of milk in it, just to make it a little bit, um, you know, not basically... Yeah, yeah. Pasta. So, so I, I've, I've, like, become more refined <laughs> as I got older. But I don't know, like... Mac and cheese, like, there's people who, like, have mac and cheese. Like, my wife, Kathleen, likes having mac and cheese <laughs> at restaurants once in a while. I'm, I don't really like, like, good macaroni and cheese. I like craft macaroni and cheese. I'm a big <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. I, yeah. Like, I don't really want it. First of all, they always put too much sauce on it. Secondly, I don't really need quality noodles. Like, I don't associate that as a quality Right. Food. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't seek out, like, gourmet mac and cheese that seems to me like to be yeah 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 you're right about that (laughs) so anyway number two for you is one week by bare naked ladies chinese chicken (laughs) (laughs) Um, this is uh it didn't work because he knew it was coming um canadian novelty rap um really annoying I never really understood why this was such a big hit. Um, the, the verses and chorus have nothing to do with each other. Um, Ed Robert, Robertson from the Bare Naked Ladies who wrote this um, wrote the chorus first and it's about a couple fighting. And initially he was going to write a rap that kind of like matched up with that theme, but he couldn't come up with anything. So he just improvised what you hear in the song, which is basically a bunch of pop cult, pop culture references um he references aquaman which he pronounces aquaman um leanne rhymes burt camfort um the x-files which he mentions that he's hoping that the smoking man's in this one but i always i didn't really like the smoking man episodes um i i preferred like the monster of the week episodes yeah, they they just were never consistent enough with it. Right, yeah, exactly. But and he also mentions Kurosawa, um, Sting, and Harrison Ford. And there's also some very Canadian references in this. Um, they reference Swiss Chalet, which is um, kind of like a restaurant chain in Canada. And the most obscure references are to Birchmont Stadium, home of the Robbie which uh, Birchmont Stadium is a small stadium in Toronto. And the Robbie is a youth soccer tournament that is played at Birchmont Stadium. So um, this song gave exposure to a youth soccer tournament. But um, this did go to number one on the Hot 100. And it stayed there for exactly one week. So kind of kind wow. of fitting... How, seren- yeah, how exactly. serendipitous for an absolutely fucking terrible song. Right, yeah, I exactly. I hate this song. 
but they should have mentioned ketchup potato chips if they were going to talk that about is true or like stuff. poutine or salt and vinegar yeah, potato chips. I mean, chips. salt and vinegar potato chips are kind of becoming a thing here, too. I know they are, but um, so yeah, I haven't met in Canada in a while. I think the last time I was in Canada was in oh, okay, maybe 04. I, I think the last time I went was um, god, it was when we were in Detroit for the Packers game. Oh, wow, so you haven't right. been there since 95? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's so much more exotic <laughs> these days. Actually, you should make a point, although it'd be harder now because our father has moved away from that part of the country. But uh, you should definitely make a point of going up to Quebec. It is really cool. Yeah, I, did enjoy I going up to went there once. Um, like Pretty cool. Dad Bridge and I went to on a trip to and we kind of passed through there. Oh, I know. That's the trip I didn't get to go on. Right. I yeah, exactly. And then it's like, hey, let's go to the Northeast. Oh, you have to work your summer <laughs> job. I'm like, yeah. So, because that was always the one I always brought up. I was like, let's go out to the East Coast. Let's go up to Toronto and Montreal. And right. Yeah, denied. exactly. I'm bitter about that to the present. I'm. It burns inside <laughs> me at all times. Right. Yeah. But anyway, we're up to number one here. Hey, how about we just skip number one? This it week? is terrible. It's fucking but terrible. We have to do it anyway. <laughs> Says who? Like the Wisconsin Supreme Court? Okay, I don't okay. live there. <laughs> oh, wait, Indiana Supreme Court. Just okay, here we go. Too, so go ahead. Um, Eve Six was Inside Out. This song was the ninth track on No Jacket Required, and it went to number nine on the mainstream <laughs> rock chart. <laughs> we all had a laugh at my yes, yes. Hand. This song is actually some yep. SoCal shit, and it's yet another forgettable song by yet another forgettable band. And it does feature this inspiring lyric. It says, "Quote: SoCal is where my mind states, but it's not my state of mind." <laughs> I um i can think of a lot of california inspired music that i do like like west coast jazz is pretty cool and surf music of course is cool bakersfield country is cool uh there's some bay area rock that's good uh the la studio stuff from the late 70s is is fun um you know west coast rap is awesome still my favorite kind of rap um but late 90s socal like alternative music was just vapid like the punk scene punk and i use that word very loosely because it it never struck me as punk it struck me more as like power pop but um it was just vapid it just Mm -hmm. didn't do anything for me at all Uh, there was some kind of metal revival bands that were jokey that came out about this time also from southern california and it's just um it just wasn't very good and um, you know, like Blink One Eighty Two, just right. I never got them at all. Um, other sort of tuneful. So, but I can't really figure out a good way to wrap my thought up about this. So for no reason at all, I just typed "eat shit" at the end of my little <laughs> okay. diatribe about this. Okay. Yeah. Eat shit, shitty bands. 
from 1998 because this was just a bunch yeah, of yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm glad it's over. This might be our shortest one for a while, too, right. which is yeah. probably not a bad thing. <laughs> but what what do we have next week? Next okay. week, we're going to do a little experiment. Um, a lot of people consider the year 1984 to be the height of 80s music in America. And I wouldn't argue with that. I kind of dig 1983, too. But 1984 is pretty awesome. However, what was going on over okay, in, okay. in 1984? So we're going to do the October 14th, 1984 okay. UK Top 40. Which, even though we did a 1984 chart with our sister back in the summer, there is actually, I looked, there's only, um, I believe, one song that repeats huh. from that okay. chart to this one. So, yeah, we're going to go over to Old Blighty and see what they were doing in 1984. Was it cooler here? I, it cooler I don't know. There? It's Well, maybe, hmm. Because a lot of our music of 1984 was influenced by UK new wave music in the first place. So, right. Uh, so we'll see. Well, this would be I guess um, we'll right around it. the same time as do you know or do they know it's Christmas? Possibly. No, it's around the same time as Do You Know It's Halloween, which was actually a song <laughs> okay. that came out before that. A lot of people don't know that. They got a whole super group together yep, that wrote, Do yep. You Know It's Halloween. <laughs> it was like um, Bob Geldof and um, Status Quo and Madness and right. Ten Pole Tutor. They, they probably invited... Um... Um, the guy who did the monster mash, Bobby Bobby Boris Pickett. <laughs> no. Yeah, maybe. Um, they, they had the Great Pumpkin <laughs> yeah. on it. A lot of people think the Great Pumpkin is fake, but it's actually a band from <laughs> from Bristol. So, yeah, do they know it's Halloween? Right. It yeah. They they did all the holidays. They did. Do you know it's Boxing Day? They should have done that. They should. Yeah, have, do they, you know they should it's have Boxing Day. released it the day after Christmas, or the day after they released. Do they know it's Christmas? Yeah, they also did a song called "We're Gonna Kick the Shit Out of the Irish." Right. No, no, that no. Wasn't it wasn't very nice, but <laughs> that they did that song. So. But um, they also did a tribute to uh, soccer hooligans as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I bet it would be. (laughs) We were like, we were right before Heisel and uh, the Bradford fire at this point. That was both took place in 85. So, (laughs) yeah. Yes. Yes. Gotta love it. My favorite soccer team is doing quite well on their promotion to the that, that, that's good happy I, to I say. Mean, how many games have they played so far they played four and they already played liverpool and only lost by a goal and nice, i drew man nice. city over the weekend yeah very nice but so there's your soccer news yes. for the week yeah. on the with a bullet podcast but seriously i'm recommending to everybody since this is musically related go buy the damn goat's head soup uh reissue that's maybe the best okay. album I bought all year. 
among all the, you know, kind of catching my record collection up to my, to, you know, cause it's, it's the first one where the bonus tracks are huh. actually like worth owning. And the stones are like, are like George Lucas in the respect that they uh-huh. fuck with their old music too much. This is the one time where it actually works. Like there are new Mick, Mick vocals uh-huh. on the top of old masters huh. and somehow they made it work right. It's actually really good. So go buy it. Go buy Goat's Head Soup. It's like okay, all right. double LP. Right. <laughs> Do it right now. Go. Run. That's oh, the best God. I've bought this year. I can't even remember what I bought. I haven't bought an album since February. So, yeah. I mean, wow, really? I would just almost yeah, go buy one I mean, out of boredom or something. COVID. So, <laughs> well, you're not going to get COVID at a record store. <laughs> from like, what if you got COVID? Like, if you did get COVID from a record store, would it be worth it eh, if it came from a maybe, album? maybe? <laughs> it have to be a really good album. <laughs> I bought a lot of records. Huh. I bought like 20 hmm. records this year. Actually, I bought Al Green's uh, Let's Stay Together and I'm Still in Love With You along with Goat Said Soup. And those are both also excellent. But we, right. we knew yeah. that, that we knew those would be good. So anyway, enough. That's your TED Talk for the day. Just bullshitting <laughs> to fill out. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Are you coming in or are you going to piss about all day? You're bloody finished. You know that, Jack. I bloody finished you!